All right, if you'll follow along on your bulletin or on the screen, I've got my work cut out for me this morning. All right, starting in 1 Samuel 18. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Jumping down to chapter 19. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all of Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? Chapter 20. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have, both sworn, we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall, shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. And then 1 Samuel 23, 16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David of Horish and strengthened his hand in God. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we love you so much. Um, we thank you for this beautiful morning where we can gather um, together as a community um, and worship you uh, through song um, and through your word, Lord. We just pray that you would be with Brian this morning as he speaks to us. Open our hearts and our ears um, to hear from you, um, challenge us, um, and change us, that we would leave here um, as new people. Uh, Jesus, we love you so much, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right. Good morning, everyone. Russell, before we begin this morning, can I put the quote from last week up there? So we are um, doing a, a short summer series looking at different parts of the Old Testament where there are timeless truths that are relevant for today. And I just want to be very brief on last week and just recapture this. And we talked about how important listening is and specifically listening to God as he speaks to us through his word. So we said the danger of not listening well is you will deceive yourself into believing you are always right. We looked at the life of Saul and how his life unraveled because he believed he was right all the time. Did a little bit of reading on Monday early in the week just about last week's sermon, just reading more about it. And I came across uh, my sem an old seminary professor and he, it was interesting, that I graduated in 04 and he was supposed to be um, one of my philosophy professors. At the last minute, um, he did not teach the class. I had never knew why, and we had somebody else. But I just found out, he just wrote a book, and the title of the book is something along the lines of uh, Quiet, and then he had a subtitle. What I just found out, though, is that during that time, 2004, I believe it was, he had a nervous breakdown. And um, he, uh, he just went through a very hard time in his life of discouragement and depression. And he's very open and honest about it. Um, and then he had a time where he did much better and then he had kind of uh, fell back into that again where he, he literally just talked about just he was in bed um, and, and he could just barely function. 
Um, this is a guy who has a PhD in theology and philosophy, maybe two, I can't remember, but in a Christian leader in his church and just a very well-respected man. And one of the things he talked about, though, in a short video about this, one of the causes, he talked about the pace of life and how that contributed to his um, emotional kind of breakdown in his life. And he talked about how important it is to be a listener. And when life just goes and goes and goes and we're busy all the time, the ability to be quiet and listen goes quickly. And I think, um, I just think this is just more valuable than we first think. We can get caught up in life and we just, we're just one thing to the next and we stop listening to God when he wants to speak to us through his word. So, um, Consider that. This morning, uh, the topic is very simple and clear. The topic is friendship. So last week, the topic was listening. The topic this morning is friendship. And again, one of the number one reasons why people don't have friends, they're just too busy. Everyone says they're too busy to have friends. All right? <clears throat> I have a 30-second video that I'm going to show you. Maybe we'll show it twice. It takes two times, I think, to, to grasp it on um, the danger of being too busy. So we'll show it once, then I'll say something, then we'll show it one more time, all right? There's no sound, so I believe it uh, happened in, in China, I think. All right, thank you. We'll pause right there. I was just cracked up. I thought of Matt. I thought of <laughs> myself. Like, what did she say to that car? Back up. There's, there's, there's much here, right? The family, uh, they kind of even hustle along the way. They're just, they're just too busy, too busy to help, too busy to be friendly, too busy to be considerate. And think about even the lesson that they just passed up on on teaching their child about what it means to be a friend, to be a neighbor, to be considerate, um, to be a part. Um, so hold that for one second, Russell. That's okay for right now. I uh, feel like I talk about this often, so I'm going to be uh, brief, but I just found a few things, all right? This is <clears throat> from the Los Angeles Times. Uh, the op-ed edition from July 14th of this week. And this is from the Dean of Religious Life at USC. <clears throat> she writes this, I'll just quote a little part of it. When I arrived at USC 11 years ago as the Dean of Religious Life, my pastoral conversations with students mostly focused on their quest for meaning and purpose. They were striving to translate values into action, to cultivate joy and gratitude, to live extraordinary lives. But over the last several years, these conversations have taken a devastating turn. Whereas students used to ask, how should I live? 
they are more likely to ask now, why should I live? Where there used to be talk about hope and meaning, they now, they now grapple with hopelessness and meaninglessness. Every year, it seems I encounter more stress, anxiety, and depression in more students um, and, and, and the crisis that's happening on campus. She says this, I never got the question in my first five years at USC that I now get almost daily. How do I make friends? Students may have thousands of friends online, but few in real life. They may be expert at talking with their thumbs, but not much with their tongues. As a result, they feel as though they don't have a tribe or a sense of belonging. They feel disconnected from what it means to be a human. And we saw that in the video. Disconnected from what it means to be a human being. That's college-age kids. And th this is just a sampling of this week. Here's a story. I believe it's actually from, uh, from Columbia, Missouri, uh, from a gentleman. His name is Tom. He's 70 years old. He was once married with dreams of a family but his wife entered into a coma after a collision with a, a truck trailer on their honeymoon, changed the whole course of his life. He said he got several DUIs, DWIs, trying to drown his sorrows and went to a mental health center. He lives alone now. Many of his friends and family have died in recent years, and he can no longer do the activities he used to enjoy. And he struggles with loneliness and depression. From Forbes magazine, I won't read uh, much of it, but it's a large article about the elderly and loneliness and the risk factors that go along with being elderly and living alone and being alone. And so the... Uh, the, the crisis of friendship is real, it's significant, and, and it's especially affecting um, people in their early 20s and the, that time of life when you're excited about the future. It's affecting our elderly. And I would say that one of the things that I've heard commonly in my years of living in Malibu um, from women is that is the struggle to find real friendship. And so the reality is that this is something that we're not quite grasping, that we're failing at as a culture. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is how are we doing as a church community? And is there an alternative, is there a vision? Is there a way forward that's better? Does the Bible offer us any hope about friendship? Does it offer us anything specific and tangible that we can uh, grasp a hold of with friendships? And Here's a one-sentence kind of summary that we'll explore this morning on, on friendship. Um, friendship is sharing the joys and sorrows of life with someone because you have trusted them enough to allow them openly and honestly into your life. And so we can say that friendships start with trust because there's openness and honesty. Trust is broken. It's eroded when people are pretend and they're not honest. And when that happens, you no longer share the joys and sorrows of life. Somebody once said that when you have friends, you double your joys and you cut your sorrows in half. And we know 
based on just some of the stuff I shared with you this morning, that many people struggle with friendships, that we just, we don't understand it. So this morning, <clears throat> we will look at the Old Testament. We'll look at um, the story of Jonathan and David and their friendship <clears throat> um, and, and what it can teach us. So this morning, allow your mind to go one of two places. Allow your mind to go to your spouse if you need to. Is your spouse functioning as a friend? If you're not married <clears throat> or you are married and you want to think about somebody else, think about uh, somebody else in your life that you need to strengthen uh, your friendship with. But I would say this, if you are married, that the value of having your spouse be your friend is absolutely crucial, that there needs to be a friendship there that happens. Um, just a few thoughts on, on why it's important just as we think about this, why do we need friends? Number one is this, that spiritual growth happens through friendships. That if you want to continue to grow spiritually, you need to have friends in your life. If you want to accomplish God's purposes in your life, if you want to live according to what God has called you to do, we need friends in our lives. If you want to continue to grow spiritually, you need somebody to encourage you, to support you, to challenge you, to push you closer in your relationship with Jesus. Number two, why we need friends is we all have blind spots. We all have areas of our lives that we can't quite see clearly. And we need friends to speak honestly to us. Hebrews chapter three says this, be careful then my dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other each and every day while it is still today that none of you will be deceived by sin and your heart will be hardened against God. So we need people to speak truth into our lives, people that you trust, people you can be open and honest with. Number three, you need people to support you. Life is rough. Life has challenges, and you need people on your side to offer encouragement. If you want to ever do a study on this, you can, it's an easy thing to, to look up on the internet, but there are over 50 commands in the New Testament related towards one another. We are to love one, I'm not gonna give you all 50 now, but here's the idea, that we are to love one another, you are to forgive one another, you are to speak truth to one another, you are to greet one another, show kindness to one another, admit our faults to one another. Galatians 6.2 says this, that we are to carry each other's burdens. And here's the question we can ask. Are we even aware? Do you, is there anyone in your life that you are open and honest with that they know the burdens that you're carrying? Often we need a team approach to dealing with the discouragements of life, that you cannot handle them alone. We need support, you need encouragement. <clears throat> and here's the, the unfortunate reality, this happens often, is that when people go through the most challenging and hard times of life, they withdraw from people. They withdraw from community. So have your eyes and ears open to people. Have you, has somebody disappeared from your life? Are there friends that you're, you're no longer in touch with? Be aware of, of what's going on in people's lives and show support. So that's just very brief, but the idea of friendship is very important. 
think through the implications of the video we just saw and even think of it as a metaphor for life that we're preoccupied with ourselves we're preoccupied with our own families that we're unaware with other people's families of what other people's families are going through <clears throat> so David and Jonathan is a story in the Old Testament it's 1 Samuel chapter 18 19 and 20 and it's a story of this friendship that happens <clears throat> so there's a little bit of background we have to have. These are two guys that they're both warriors. And so when we understand friendships, one of the first things we have to understand is that friendships have a shared interest. Friendships have a shared interest. What are you interested in? Do you do anything besides just work? What, what do you enjoy? What are things that you find valuable? What are things that you can do with a friend that time goes by without you even realizing it? One of the things I did this week is I went to my photos on my computer and I typed in Los Padres National Forest and I, I, I don't know, like two or three hundred photos popped up of photos and I just started looking at a few of them. And then I started counting different friends and, and many of you are here this morning that have gone up into the mountains. So the Los Padres National Forest is the mountains above Ojai, Santa Barbara area. And there's a long list of you that have gone up into the mountains there with me. And I think, um, I think it was Scott Mulder and I that maybe did it for the first time. And I just wanna share this with you just very briefly because you need to have shared experience. You need to do things in life with people where you don't even realize a friendship is happening. The very short version of the story is that I talked to Scott about maybe the possibility of finding this place where we could go fly fishing. And uh, of course, unfortunately, it turned out like most of my little adventures, uh, we could not get to the river that we wanted to get to. Um, but we bouldered and it was almost torturous. Like the next day, my whole body ached because we were climbing over rocks and it was hot and it was just, it was miserable. But we did it together. And it was, al it was almost one of those things where like we, we came out of this alive. <laughs> and you don't forget shared experiences and especially things that are tough. I went to Haiti with Gary Wanakot. We got pulled over by the Haitian police driving a, an off-road vehicle on a road, and thankfully he was driving, not me. And uh, the police took his license, and, and I was just like, this cannot be good. Like, uh, he took the license from Gary, went up to the police like, building, their headquarters, and he just, people are talking, we're sitting there. And then our friend comes and starts like arguing with a cop. And I'm like, we're like, we're, uh, we're going to end up in jail together. That's going to be a very bonding experience together, to being in a Haitian jail together. We're going to be best buddies. Um, and then I remember our friend just grabbed the driver's license out of the Haitian policeman's hand and says, leave now. And we're like, do you, who do you listen to, a Haitian policeman? Or you listen to your friend? Drive, go. We survived. We didn't go to Haitian jail. We're here. But my point is this, have things in life that you enjoy doing with people where friendships can grow and exist. Um, we, I don't call up Gary or Scott and say, hey, let's just have a friendly talk. Let's just be, have friends and talk. Like we just do things together. 
Jonathan and David were warriors. And when you look at some of the things that are said about their relationship, I think you'll be able to better understand. And I know we're not warriors here today, but it still opens up the concept of friendship. So they're going to use words that maybe even make us feel a little bit uncomfortable, but you have to understand the context as these men are going to battle together. All right, so that's a little bit. So the context is this. Saul is king. He's paranoid. He's falling apart. He's angry. He's distrustful. He's manipulative. He's revengeful. David has just killed Goliath. Goliath is this little shepherd boy, and now he is the hero. Saul is threatened by him. Saul has a son named Jonathan who becomes friends with David. So think about this for a second. David's a nobody. He's a shepherd, and he becomes the hero of Israel. Saul becomes jealous, the king of Israel. Saul's son, Jonathan, does not become jealous. He becomes friends with him. And he could have very easily become jealous. Think about how easy it is to become jealous over another friend's success. So if you have your Bible, this is a little bit long. We'll work through this quickly, and if we don't get through it all today, we'll continue next week. So 1 Samuel chapter 18, and let's just make some observations. Number one, and here's the, the, the first part we'll do, is the foundations of friendship. What is absolutely foundational? It doesn't matter if we're talking about biblical times or today in Malibu. What are some truths that are foundational for friendship. We do know that Jonathan and David are very different. Jonathan comes from um, a kingly family, from, from royalty. David is a common, common shepherd boy. He's uneducated. If you do some uh, history work, most likely um, commentators think that Jonathan is 25 to 30 years older than David. David is an instant hero So there are some differences between these guys, but there's a common bond. So here's, here's what happens. First um, Samuel 18, verse 1, foundation of, friend, of friendship. Number one is this, a shared life and a shared confidence in God. A shared life, we mentioned this briefly, is they're both warriors. Okay, so if you have your Bible, turn a couple pages back to 1 Samuel 14. And verse 6, and it talks about Jonathan defeating the Philistines. So he's a warrior. And here's what Jonathan says. They're both warriors, but they both have this view of God. And here's what it says. Um, that nothing, and he's, he's preparing for battle. Jonathan says to the younger man carrying his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of the Philistines or the uncircumcised. It may be the Lord will work for us for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. So they have this view of God. David says something similar in 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. This is when he's fighting Goliath. So here is what they have in common. David replies to the Philistine, to Goliath, you come at me with a sword and a spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven, of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you. Both go to battle, both are courageous warriors, but their confidence and their courage is rooted in God. They both have this huge view of God. They have this confidence of life. 
that the battle belongs to the Lord. And there's this interesting little tension here. They both are warriors. They just don't sit back behind their soldiers and say, go fight and we're going to trust God. They're active warriors, but their confidence and their trust is in God. We see this. Here's another place where this shows up in the Bible. Daniel chapter 3 says this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say this to King Nebuchadnezzar. If we are thrown, so the king gives them a, right? He gives them an ordinance, a rule that you must bow down and worship this statue. And here's what they say. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. There's that God confidence again. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make this clear to you, king. We will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. So Jonathan faces the Philistine garrison. David faces the giant soldier. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego face the fiery furnace. But they have this view of God that God will take care of them. So a foundation for friendship is you have things in your life that you share common interests. You do things. You, you enjoy life together. But even more important than that is this view of God that whatever obstacle you're facing, and here's where we have to translate it to today. No one here is facing a Philistine garrison or a, a literal Goliath or a fiery furnace, but everyone here is facing some kind of obstacle. And what happens when we face obstacles often? We blame, we attack the person, we blame our husbands, our wives. We find somebody who has to be at fault. Instead, maybe God is bringing this into our lives to, where God can teach you a lesson of his faithfulness, where you can put your trust and hope and confidence that God is big that he's good and he might not solve it just the way you want but maybe there's a lesson there. Think about what life would be like if marriages were based on friendship where husband and wives were friends and their view of God was this that no matter what happens in life God is going to take care of us. We don't have to go after each other and attack each other We can believe in the goodness of God. We don't have to compete. We don't have to point out flaws. We don't have to be morally superior to the next person. We can have a view of God that offers hope. So the foundation of friendship is rooted in a shared experience, a common bond, but also a belief that God is powerful. They were big faith people. Big faith. Think about the antithesis, small faith. What does small faith mean? Fear, trembling, insecurity, resentment. Courage is rooted in what you worship. And if you worship God more than anything else, you will be a person of courage and you will be able to address and deal with the problems of life. If you worship your own comfort, your own security, your own goals, those things will always crumble and leave you wanting more. Number two, the second foundation for a friendship is the idea of love. 
verse um, 1 again of chapter 8 says this. As soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the son of Jonathan, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Verse 3, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. It says it two times there that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. He makes a, a, a declaration of his commitment to him. And we see this all throughout the New Testament. Romans 12.10 says this, that we are to love one another with a brotherly affection, a phileo love, a Philadelphia love, a place of brotherly affection. Here's a quote. This is from uh, the year 58 when a guy named Farius wrote to his physician and he said this, I hope that if I cannot return in equal measure the affection you have shown for me, may I at least show you some token of gratitude. There was uh, an expression of, an, an, an affection of love. And I know that uh, this, this is where I, there's some cultural differences where the Bible and, and their culture was much more expressive of their love. So you've got two soldiers who are saying that they are committed to loving one another. Love admires. Think about this for a second. Love admires qualities in a person that is different from their own life. And so many people are insecure and fearful and we try to make everyone be just like ourselves. If you're comfortable with who you are, you will admire people that are different than you. Love puts in effort. Love is generous. Love is not a transactional friendship. Love sincerely cares about the other person. The foundation of a friendship is selflessness. The third foundation we see here is commitment. And we see this in verse 3 also where it says that he made a covenant, that Jonathan makes a covenant with David. Chapter 20, if you have your Bible, turn a couple pages. Chapter 20, verse 16, they do a covenant renewal. They say it again, verse 16, this is sometime later. And Jonathan makes a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies and Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Jonathan uh, makes a commitment to the well-being of David and vice versa. Here's the idea. It's dependability. Are you a dependable friend? Are you reliable? Are you trustworthy? It's a really interesting short story, and we, we won't turn there, but it's 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, and it's a story about Jonathan's son named Mephibosheth, and David is inquiring about Jonathan's family. Is there anyone that's still living? And it's a fascinating story. Read it sometime. Mephibosheth has um, kind of a, it's not a funny story, but he was dropped in the, in, in the story when he was a baby and he grew up with um, his feet were deformed or hurt because he was dropped when he was a baby. And so he was kind of uh, dismissed. And so David finds Mephibosheth and says that he is going to bless him, that he is going to be a blessing to him because of his friendship with his dad. So this commitment that David and Jonathan have, it's not just 
one to another, but it extends to family. Think about this for just a moment. Are you preoccupied with your own family? Is your family functioning as a blessing for others? Is there a commitment within your own family towards one another that you can now be a blessing to others? Or are we like the, the family in the video where we are preoccupied with our own busyness that we can look at somebody right near us and ignore and move on in life? Foundations for a healthy friendship. Love and commitment are things that will endure. We'll finish up just very briefly and, and, and we'll explore more, these more next time, but let me just give them to you just right now. What are the responsibilities? So if we have a foundation for a friendship, what are the responsibilities of a friendship? Chapter 19, verses 13 through 17, Jonathan will function as a peacemaker. The responsibility, the duty of a friend is to be a peacemaker. Jonathan is going to confront his father. Jonathan is, man, is a man who's not afraid of conflict for a greater good. And we talked about this weeks ago, about the idea of being a peacemaker, that sometimes it is necessary to create conflict for a greater peace. And often we just run from things. We don't want to deal with things. But there's this underlying unspoken issue. And Jonathan is an example for us that having the hard conversation is necessary for a greater peace. Number two, responsibilities for friendship is candor. Speak openly and honestly. Chapter 20, verse 1 and verse 4 talk about this ability to speak openly and honestly with one another. When can you do that? When trust has been built. Speak openly and honestly. Has trust eroded any of your friendships? In your friendships? Do you need to have that conversation about rebuilding trust? Being open and honest? Number three, and, and uh, we'll finish with this, is the idea of being supportive. And we talked about this already. Being supportive. How can you encourage a friend? How can you encourage your spouse? How can you be um, aware of what people are going through and offer support? We know that in John chapter 15, Jesus says that he will no longer call us uh, servants, but he'll call us his friends when we do what he asks of us. John chapter 15 is, is the place when Jesus refers to his followers as the, with the metaphor of a vine and a branch, that our lives are to be grafted into the life of Christ. One of the mistakes that happens in friendships is putting pressure on a friendship to solve problems that only Jesus can solve. And I just want to encourage you and finish with this. <clears throat> there are some problems in life that a friend cannot solve for you. A friend can walk with you through things, but Jesus is the only one that can solve the issues of our heart. And sometimes what happens, we get tripped up a little bit in our friendships and we put expectations upon people to solve issues that only Jesus can solve. So the calling in our lives, as we saw in the video, is to slow down and help carry burdens, partner with people in life, encourage. But know this, 
that there are things in this world that only Jesus can resolve. And don't put that on your friends because that will dissolve the relationship. The good news of the gospel is that God sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross so that human beings that can be reconciled to God. The greatest friendship we all need is a friendship with Jesus Christ. And that happens when you put your faith and trust in him. That empowers you and gives you a new calling on your life to live a new way, to be a true friend, to live um, in a way that creates community and health. Will you consider your role this morning in being a friend? Will you consider the pace of your life and how well you listen, how well you listen to God speak through his word, how well you are at being a friend? It changes the community I hope the video sticks in your mind and you think through the implications of if everyone in our church community just walks on by, if everyone in our neighborhood where we live here just walks on by, what happens to us? If husbands ignore their wives, if wives ignore their husbands, if parents ignore their children, what happens to us? There's a more beautiful calling upon our lives and that's to follow Jesus and his love will change our hearts to be better friends. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask you to encourage us to allow us to honestly reflect and consider how we are doing as being friends. We pray that you do a work in our lives of compassion, of understanding, of encouragement, of support. Father, I pray that you would help us have a rhythm of life that friendships can develop and grow and blossom. We're so grateful for the beauty that you give to us to meet here in this property to worship you, but we know more than anything else that our life has meaning through our relationships. Protect them and grow them. We ask you to sing in your name, amen.